Hi, you're listening to the RVC Podcast, a ministry of River Valley Church in Fresno, California. I am super excited about this series that we're uh, starting up. It's been something that's been on my heart for um, several months. If you went to our men's gathering, which we have another one coming up, and a ladies gathering in the uh, month of March, uh, I shared a little bit about this, saying that I felt God calling me to, to kind of put together and work on a series. And so um, with that, we're beginning it this morning. It's called Overcome, and it is about the life of Joseph. Maybe you began to uh, read your Bible at the beginning of the year, or maybe you two years, you know, a, a year back, you joined us on our two-year journey uh, of reading through the entire Bible. We have that on our app. We also have it on our website. We have a hard copy of a Bible reading plan that's a two-year program uh, out at our Connection Center. But you'll get to uh, chapter 30, and you start to see this family that's emerging, this, this family that's related to Abraham and his son Isaac and his son Jacob. And then we begin to see this family that really just has a lot of dysfunction. Can I get a witness? Yeah, okay. So we, every family deals with stuff. When I think about Joseph, though, and the kinds of ways that he overcame obstacles, trials, difficulties, Uh, in life we all face challenging and difficult situations that have potential to really overcome us, right? Being mistreated, backstabbed, abandoned, we have the disappointments that we face in life. It's easy to sort of give up or give in. It's easy to use it as an excuse for living in a way that isn't honoring to God because, gee, this is what happened to me. And yet we see in God's word, we see in the life of Joseph that God has called us to a higher life, one that is free from bitterness and and, and to not let what has happened to us to direct our future, that it no longer has to have control over our lives. This story of Joseph's life, that gives us insight into how he became an overcomer, and really how you and I are called to do the same. Now, there's a key verse that kind of runs throughout this, uh, this, uh, this story. It's Romans chapter 8, verse 28. It's something you ought to tuck away in your heart and memorize, where Paul writes this, and we know that God causes, say that word with me, everything. There we go. And we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and who are called according to his purpose. Joseph chooses to rise above his circumstances, overcomes enormous obstacles. And if anyone had, as you read his story, if anyone had a reason to seek revenge or to hold a grudge or to allow bitterness to take root in his heart, it was him. This morning we read about him being betrayed. He's abandoned. He's accused, next time we talk, accused of a sexual assault that he did not commit. He's imprisoned, and then he's forgotten in prison. Certainly many people in his shoes, have allowed bitterness and anger to rise up, right? You see that that our culture is, uh, is really exists with this mindset, don't get mad, what? Get even. Just driving your car. Has anyone ever cut you off? Let's get honest here. Has anyone ever cut you off and you navigated a way to get up, up by them again and you cut them off? Do you have any of you people here today, right? Social media rants. You read people's social media and you go, oh, I know who they're talking about. And so does everybody else. Just say their name. Every so often I'm like, I want to say something on social media like, hey, don't you just hate those kind of people that say things on social media hoping that those people that read it would actually get the hint? But then I realized like, I would be hypocritical because I would be doing that. I would want to insert names. I'm just going to tag them all. I'm going to tag them all. Then you go, wait, are you saying I do this? 
Uh, hello, yes. I think we feel that, that sense of, I want to get somebody back. Somebody wrongs us. I want to make them pay. Forgiveness is an absent quality, virtue in our society today. Bitterness over wrongs done, it weighs us down with really shackles of imprisonment. And it poisons our lives and it spills out on other people. We verbally explode on text or email just to get even. Well, listen, we're going to see a lot of obstacles that Joseph overcomes. We're going to learn how his faith in God and rejecting natural responses to life's situations and challenges, it's a game changer for him, and it certainly will be for us. And Joseph, he's a vital figure in the story of Jesus, by the way. As we weave through this over the next six weeks, you'll see that God had allowed Joseph to go through so much hardship because he was bringing about a fulfillment of a promise that he was going to bring a nation into the world, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, who became the nation of Israel, ultimately so he could bring a Messiah to save the world from their sins. That's what the story of Joseph is all about. And so as we begin, I want you to, um, I want you to, to know that God can give you the ability to overcome no matter what you face, betrayal or other kinds of hardships. You have the ability to be an overcomer, and that's through faith in Jesus Christ. So here's this story. It begins, and it just gets right down, just dirty, nasty, not a great, healthy family environment. It begins in chapter 37, verse 1. It says, And Jacob lived in the land of his father's sojournings in the land of Canaan. And these are the generations of Jacob. Joseph, being 17 years old, was pasturing the flock with his brothers. He was a boy with the sons of Bilhah and Zilpah. Uh, real quick, his dad Jacob uh, had a, a wife named Leah. He was married to her sister, Rachel. Talk about awkward uh, Thanksgiving gathering. And each one of them had sort of a, a you know, kind of a, a, a nurse, a helper that came along when their dad said, you can now marry, you know, Jacob. And, and so Jacob had children with all four of those women. Do you think that that might cause a strange dynamic in the household? Read on. And Joseph brought a bad report of them to their father. And so they said, Joseph, snitches get stitches. Well, that's not, that's verse three. Here we go. Now Israel loved, here's another dynamic, now Israel loved Joseph more than any of his other sons because he was the son of his old age. Maybe it's because he was the easiest to raise, and all of a sudden he's like, oh, he's the easy one. Oh, I love him so much. Whatever it was, he, he made him this favored one, and everybody saw it. It says in verse 3, and he made him a robe of many colors, hence the cool design in our, in our, uh, on our screen this morning. But when his brothers saw that their father loved him more than all his other brothers, they hated him, and they could not speak peacefully to him. Now Joseph had a dream, and when he told it to his brothers, they hated him even more. And he said to them, hear this dream that I've had. Behold, we were binding sheaves in the field, and behold, my sheaf arose and stood up, upright, and behold, your sheaves gathered around it and bowed down to my sheaf. And his brother said to him, are you indeed to reign over us? Are you indeed to rule over us? So they hated him even more for his dreams and his words. Then he dreamed another dream, and he told it to his brothers and said, Behold, I've dreamed another dream. At some point, stop sharing your dreams. You know what I mean? <laughs> hey, I had a, guys, gather around. I want to tell you another dream I had. Behold, I had another dream. Behold, the sun and the moon and the 11 stars were bowing down to me. This is a reference to J uh, Jacob and Joseph's mother and all of his brothers. 
So now dad and mom are included, the whole family. But when he told it to his father and his brothers, his father rebuked him and said, what is this dream you have dreamed? Shall I and your mother and your brothers indeed come and bow down ourselves to the ground before you? And his brothers were jealous of him, but his father kept the saying in his mind. Now, this story just gets right down to it, right? That we can see this dysfunction already. And we can see sort of the stirrings of what would become Joseph's uh, moment in time to actually overcome betrayal in his life. It gets right down to it. We see that there's a lot, a lot of unhealthy dynamics. Now, the background is, is that his great-grandfather is Abraham, his grandfather is Isaac, and his father is Jacob. The promise was given to Abraham, to Isaac, and to J Jacob, that, that this promise from God that God says that I'm going to make you into a great nation, Abraham. And then the same promise to his son Isaac and to Jacob as well. And now I'm going to bless you, and, 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 and those who bless you I will bless, and those who curse you I will curse. I'm going to, to uh, give you a land, Jacob and Abraham and Isaac. The land that Israel now occupies belongs to that nation. And he says, and I'm going to give you a child. That through that child, all the nations of the world will be, will be blessed. We tie this back to the promise that that's when God gave a promise that a Messiah would be born one day. So this is a very important family, and yet they've got a lot of mess involved. He didn't see, Jacob didn't see uh, his favoritism, that it was creating this mess, and he was hated by his brothers. Again, they were jealous of his position, that he was the one that his dad elevated in such a way that the, uh, he was, at this point, he was the second youngest child, and, and he gave him this coat of many colors. And so this was significant because uh, the, the coat's description, when we look at di uh, different commentaries, describes this coat as one that went down to the wrists and to the ankles. And so it was this beautiful coat that identified him as not only the favorite child, but elevated him to the, the firstborn, which took on a big significance in a family during that time. But also it meant that he didn't have to labor as his brothers did. Now, talk about creating a, a mess in the family. When I was growing up, my mom had four boys, you know, raising at the house. And my mom would say, hey, Gordon, I want you to go mow the lawn. Do you know what my first reaction was? What's Stuart going to do? You know what the answer was? Nothing. He did nothing. I'm so angry right now. That's why I wanted him to do this whole series. Man, they hated him. They hated him. And then they're jealous of God's favor. Guys, these weren't dreams that he was dreaming up. Oh, I'm going to be so great one day. And gee, I'm going to have such an impact in the world. This weren't, these weren't personal dreams like I'm going to conquer the world, you know, be the king of the world and become this wealthy man. These were dreams that God gave him because God's favor was upon him. And God was going to use his ability to not only foresee in dreams things that were really going to happen that God was going to do in advance, but also to interpret dreams, we'll see how God uses him later on uh, when he becomes this incredible prime minister, if you would, of the nation of Egypt. So God spoke to Joseph in dreams. And all these dreams were going to be fulfilled, but there's a lot of trials to come. And that made him even more of a target because he continued to talk about how, how God was going to elevate him to this position where they would bow down to him. So he dealt with the animosity. He says they couldn't speak a kind word to him. You can imagine that was difficult for him to grow up. But then you began to see that, that, that there was such hatred in their heart that they would be willing to go and stoop so far to actually be so cruel to their brother Joseph. You read on it, it says, Now his brothers went to pasture their father's flock near Shechem. 
And Israel said to Joseph, are, you, are not your brothers pasturing the flock in Shechem? Come now and I will send you to them. And he said to him, here I am. So he said to him, go now and see if it is well with your brothers and with the flock and bring me word. That didn't work out so well for him last time. So he sent him from the valley of Hebron, and he came to Shechem. And a man found him wandering in the fields, and the man asked him, uh, what are you seeking? He said, I'm seeking my brothers. He says, tell me, please, where they are pasturing the flock. And the man said to him, they have gone away. I heard them say, let us go to Dothan. So Joseph went after his brothers and found them at Dothan. They saw him from afar, and before he came near to them, they conspired against him to kill him. They said to one another, here comes this dreamer. Come now, let us kill him and throw him into one of the pits. Then we will see, and then we will say that a fierce animal has devoured him, and we will see what will become of his dreams. But when Reuben, as his oldest brother, heard it, he rescued him out of their hands, saying, let us not take his life. And Reuben said to them, shed no blood, throw him into the pits here in the wilderness, but do not lay a hand on him, that he might rescue him out of their hand to restore him to his father. There's one brother that's actually, like, t you know, talking some sense. This isn't like, hey, should we eat his thin mints that he bought with his own money from the Girl Scouts? Oh, that's cruel, man. Don't do that. You know how hard he worked for those. This is about, here he comes from a distance. Hey, brothers. And in their mind, they're already starting, and then they're having a conversation about, let's kill him, throw him into a pit, and then tell our dad that uh, uh, some wild animal must have killed him. All the while, he's getting closer and closer and closer. And he has no idea that he's about ready to have his life altered really forever. So it says, uh, <clears throat> so when Joseph came to his brothers, they stripped him of his robe, that prized possession, the robe of many colors that he wore. And they took him and they threw him into a pit. And the pit was empty and there was no water in it. Then they sat down to eat. To how jacked up is your family that you jump your brother, you beat him up, you take off his robe, and then you toss him down into a cistern where there was no water? This isn't like a, a you know, a, a three-foot, you know, little pond or something like that. It's like, hey, guys, can I, can I hop out? He's all the way down. There's no ability for him to actually escape. And we see that he's actually crying out to his brothers we read about later on as the story unfolds. In Egypt, they sat down to eat, and looking up, they saw a caravan of Ishmaelites coming from Gilead with their camels bearing gum, balm, and myrrh on their way to carry it down to Egypt. Then Judah said to his brothers, what profit is, if, if, is it to us if we kill our brother and we conceal his blood? Come, let us sell him to the Ishmaelites, and let not our hand be upon him, for he is our brother. Oh, what, what a kind brother. He's our brother, our own flesh. And his brothers listened to him. Then the Midianite traders passed by, and they, they pulled Joseph up out of, and lift him out of the pit, and they sold him to the Ishmaelites for 20 shekels of silver, the price of a slave at that time. And they took Joseph to Egypt. They, they conspired to kill him. As he calls out in greeting to them, they jump him, they strip him of his robe, they toss him into a pit. We find out later, uh, as he's being drug away, as a 17-year-old young man from his family, his brothers, being taken to Egypt as a slave, that he cried out to them. 
Genesis chapter 42 tells us that they, they heard his cries as he pled for his life. And here they sit down and they have a meal. It's unthinkable what the human heart is capable of. Unfortunately, we read about this kind of stuff all the time, don't we? We read about how cruel humanity can become. It's been said the heart of every problem is the problem with every heart. The problem is, is that the heart, the Bible says, Jeremiah 17, 9, the human heart is the most deceitful of all things and desperately wicked. Who really knows how bad it is? The next verse, it says, God does, and he tests the heart. That's how horrific humanity can, I mean, the fact that we have the Justice Coalition guys coming and the fact that human trafficking exists in our day is just mind-blowing, and yet that's where our world's at. It's amazing how <clears throat> low people can get that they would actually sell their own brother for a profit, uh, even in our day, it's still happening. Humans with no moral compass, no Christ dwelling in their heart, Jesus not governing their lives, governing their lives, they can stoop pretty low. But then what are we going to tell dad? What are we going to tell dad? You read on and the story goes, it says in verse 29, I don't know where Reuben went. Reuben went to like get a Slurpee or something because he's gone. The one that wanted to rescue his brother out of their hands. Hey, let's toss him in a pit and then I'll take him back to dad later on. When Reuben returned to the pit and saw that Joseph was not in the pit, he tore his clothes. He returned to his brothers and said, the boy is gone. And I, where shall I go? Then they took Joseph's robe. They slaughtered a goat, dipped the robe in blood, and they sent the robe of many colors and brought it to their father. And they said, this we have found. Please identify whether it is your son's robe or not. And he identified it. And he said, it is my son's robe. A fierce animal has devoured him. Joseph is without doubt torn to pieces. Then Jacob tore his garments, put on sackcloth, which was a sign of mourning, on his loins, and he mourned for his son many days. And all his sons and his daughters rose up to comfort him, but he refused to be comforted, and he said, No, I shall go down to the grave to my son mourning. Thus his father wept for him. Verse 38, the last verse, is interesting. It says, Meanwhile, the Midianites had sold him in Egypt to Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, the captain of the guard. The final touch is when they actually can sit there and see their father broken for years, broken over the loss of his son, his favorite son, but no doubt broke his heart. I wonder if he had um, regret at his passive nature as a dad. By the way, this is a great uh, recipe for uh, dysfunction in our families by being passive as parents Passive as fathers and not disciplining our children. We read uh, earlier in Genesis that a lot of the mess and dynamics of their family, well, first of all, being married to four women, that was part of it. But the mess and the dynamics of, of this, this, this you know, kind of animosity that he allowed to fester in the household, hearing about it and not disciplining, or to just even to not recognize his brothers hate him. Why am I going to send him out of town to go, give, uh, to go give me some word on what's going on? You look at how much destruction in the brothers' hearts, this bitterness allowed to, to, to dwell internally, and how it began to, to, to flesh out in hatred, this bitterness and jealousy that they had for Joseph. Bitterness is a poison, and it comes out on innocent targets all too often. We could say that Joseph was a victim of a bad start in life, right? A lot of people have bad starts in life. How do you overcome how do you overcome 
that kind of start in life. We might not have the same circumstances as Joseph, uh, but we have painful ones nonetheless. Is this how the story ends for Joseph? Honestly, it depends on how he responds. And guess what? It depends on how you respond to your disappointments, your betrayals, your difficult situations in life as well. You can allow them to overcome you, or you can, by faith, hold on to a promise and believe that you too can overcome, as God has made overcomers of men and women for centuries now. Those who say, God, I'm going to trust you. God, I'm going to hold on to you. It's not how his story ends. He wasn't overcome by all of it. Neither are we, by the way, going to be overcome by all of it. Through Christ, you and I can be overcomers. Your response to life and its challenges is the difference. And in Joseph, we'll see the difference of having uh, the ability to overcome. It was his mindset. We all have a trump card, don't we? We all have a trump card that says, oh, this is what happened to me. If you know my story, you know that my uh, dad walked out on my mom when I was, before I was actually born. So my mom raised four boys on her own. I asked her, how did you do that? She said, gin and, ton- or, uh, gin and tonic. There we go. It's actually vodka and tonic, but it's not a healthy way, by the way, <laughs> to deal with pain and struggle. I have that trump card. When bad stuff happens to me, ever so often I'm like, come on, Lord, you know I grew up without a father. And it's like the Lord's like, oh, man, sorry, son. I forgot all about that first part of your life. Let me pull that trial back from you. You know what I mean? I just want some, I want a, I want a bluebird on my shoulder. I want to whistle zippity-doo-dah. You know what I mean? And, and, uh, and, and just have an easy life. We all have a trump card. Oh, this is why I responded to you this way. Because, gee, I went through this difficult season of my life. Unfortunately, you and I don't get that opportunity to not be accountable to life and living. We all have something that's happened to us. Some of you have walked through the abandonment of a spouse. You've suffered great loss. But you respond in the way we see Joseph over the series respond. There's some great lessons to his bad start in life, this betrayal that he experienced. And I want you to think about them. Maybe even jot them down in your Bible or in one of the journals that we give you on the way in for you to keep. Here's the first one. Number one, remember that God is with us in the pits as much as in the palace. Doesn't it feel like God is more with us when it's sunshiny in our life? Like when it's all rainbows, butterflies, happy times. It's like I can almost feel God's joy because it's easy. Oh, Lord, I'm so blessed. Thank you. Can we still understand that God is with us in the pits? In that cistern that he was fallen down, bloody, beaten up, stripped from his robe. God is as much with us in the pits of life as he is in the palaces of life, which uh, Joseph will end up being later on. It might feel like God isn't with us when all hell is breaking loose in our life, but he is there. And we can see from what happens and what unfolds in the following chapters that Joseph's response was, God, I'm going to call upon you. God, I'm going to call upon you. As he traveled to Egypt, as he was sold as a slave, God was there, and Joseph called upon the Lord. We can see it in how he was, his living happened and the way he lived out his life in, in, in honor and integrity and continued to serve God in Egypt. 
He knew that God was with him, and as a young man, he was going to be with the Lord. And even though bad things happened to him, uh, we see the next scene in chapter 29, or chapter 39, that the Lord was with Joseph in verse 2, chapter 39. The Lord was with him. Man, God is with us in the difficult moments, in these pits, and God's going to be with Joseph in the palace one day. He's with us in the difficult times. If you're going through a hard time right now, I want you to know that God is, he's as near right now in your life as when everything is hunky-dory in your life. As one writer says, he's as near as our own breath. He's with you. Call upon him in the midst of that pit. In some ways, uh, things are going to get worse. He had a soft, privileged life, and that was about to end in a very real way. He's going to go through a training camp, if you would, of trials that will make him into the man whose ability is to save two nations. Not only the nation of Israel, because of his wisdom that God gives him and his ability and his fortitude because he went through the struggle, but also the nation of Egypt. This was the world power at that time that Joseph was able to save. It's because he knows that God was with him. And the Lord was with him in the bad seasons and the good seasons where he would shine in the palace. And one reason why he was able to, it's the one reason he was able to overcome such cruelty was that the Lord was with him. He's going to go through a lot of, uh, you know, trials. And he certainly had his experience of this painful start in life. And yet God is there. If maybe you've gone through some difficult pits in your life, can I encourage you? Uh, let, the, let the Lord walk you through the pain. Walk through the pain. Process the pain. Get healed from it. Own what you need to own and forgive what has been done to you and moved on. Your messed up family, past, present, or future doesn't mean that God has left you or that your life won't get better. God is at work as much in the pits of your life as he is in the palace. And he works in difficult and messed up families. And so if, you're, if you can say, uh, can I get a witness? You're like, yeah, that was my story. Well, guess what? God is there, and God will be with you. Here's a second lesson. Don't allow the evil done to you to excuse poor choices you make. That's where we get in a lot of trouble, don't we? Uh, we get married, and uh, we begin to treat our spouse harshly. Well, it's because I was treated this way, or this is the way my, fa my family yelled. My, my family yelled and screamed. That's how we got stuff. You know, like, pass the butter, you know, whatever it is. Stop letting what's happened to you in your past be the excuse for the way you treat other human beings. You're accountable. You have to own that stuff. Maybe you've heard about uh, Viktor Frankl. He was humiliated, tortured, dehumanized in Nazi prison camps, and he made this discovery, and here's what he says. The last of all great human freedoms is to choose one's response to any given set of circumstances. Isn't that beautiful? You can't, you can't choose what happens to you, when it happens or how it happens, but you can choose how you're going to respond. You can choose how you're going to respond. One author wrote it this way. He said, The easier, more popular route is to use your circumstances as an excuse for personal sin, dysfunctional patterns, and foolish behavior. Awful things have been done to some of us, and consequences have been hard. My parents are divorced. My, my father was an alcoholic. I'm not belittling, this author says, anything you've gone through. I'm simply saying that the phrase, you don't know what I've been through, has become a launching pad for all kinds of ugly behavior. 
Joseph didn't let himself become a victim. He chose to break the cycle. He took responsibility for a new way of life. While his brothers succumbed to the bitterness and jealousy because dad didn't control the home environment, Joseph decided, God, I'm not going to go down that bitter road. I'm going to pray. I'm going to trust. He didn't succumb to the bitterness like his brothers. By the way, it's why you have to process pain. We read that later on he names his kids some very significant names when he's in Egypt. But let us know not only has he processed his pain, but he's actually moved on and he's finding health in this life. It's easy to make excuses. This is why I act this way. This is why I made this decision. The problem is you're still accountable. You can't blow up at your spouse, your kids, your friends and say, well, you know I had a hard upbringing. I don't get that trump card. My dad left me when I was, you know, sorry, kids, I don't know how to be a dad to a teenager. By the way, that's a confession. I did not know how to be a dad to a teenager. <laughs> Thank God they, they made it through, right? But I didn't get to have that excuse. Oh, I didn't have a dad, so therefore I don't know how to be married or raise a child. Are you guys getting what I'm putting down right now? I mean, this is, and right now you're probably thinking of 20 people that should be here right now, Right? This is for you. This is for me to process. Process the pain so that you stop bleeding on those who didn't cut you. Isn't that truth? Don't let what happened in your past dictate your future, give you an excuse for poor choices that you make. Here's a third one. Refuse to allow bitterness to take root. That's a hard one. Man, that's so hard, isn't it? To, let, to, to not be bitter when you've been wronged, you've been done wrong. It's a very difficult thing. I, I, just, I grew up without the, my dad in the house. I didn't meet him until I was 18 years old. I didn't have a significant conversation with him until I was 24. And I actually thought that I just I sort of just like didn't have dad, you know what I mean? Uh, it, so I didn't, have like, I didn't have like animosity or pain or anything like that. I didn't feel anything just because I just didn't have a dad. It wasn't until I actually, uh, I was going to say, until I got pregnant but that didn't happen until my wife got pregnant with our firstborn, Austin, who is going to be 26 this April. And when, when she got pregnant, uh, like, it was just, well, first of all, like, we were having babies without even trying. She's saying, just go on, go on, go on. I just wanted you to know that uh, we would not choose to have a baby when I was still in school and all the stuff that we were doing. But whatever. I looked at Tammy, boom, pregnant. <laughs> and... and uh, where was I going? Oh, here we go. This is when I started to start to feel, all of a sudden, I started to feel this scab start ripping off of my life. And I had a choice at that moment. Had a conversation with my dad. At 24, Tam's maybe, I guess, maybe four or five months pregnant. And I talked to my dad, and I said, I just want you to forgive you for abandoning our family and not being around with, for my life. Fast forward another 12 years, we did a little family trip, it's awkward as all get out, you know. Uh, my brother's like, hey, let's have a family reunion. For our family? Okay, let's do this. And my dad shows up from the airport, gets in my Suburban, and for three hours I have a conversation with my, with my dad. The longest three hours I'd ever spent with him my entire life. You have your trump card, I have mine, and guess what? You still live in a jacked-up world, so there's plenty more opportunities they're going to come your way in business life, relationships, and whatnot. But you have to choose to not allow bitterness to take root in your life. It's a choice you make out of obedience to the Lord. 
He could have nursed it along. He could have watered it. He could have said, man, you don't know what I've been through. Man, I can't wait to see my brothers again. As soon as I get out of Egypt, man, I'm going to one by one chop them down. But he decided to let God work it out. There's a verse in the Bible, Romans chapter 12. It says, dear friends, never take revenge. Leave that to the righteous anger of God. I like to underline that part. Like, oh, no, you don't you understand what's coming. The righteous anger of God is coming after you, friend. For the scriptures say, I will take revenge. I will pay them back, says the Lord. Instead of plotting revenge, he found a way to trust God and to let go. Joseph was, uh, and we will see, has the ability to overcome the emotional strongholds that his brothers were unable to overcome. He didn't allow bitterness to take root. That jealousy that led to bitterness, that emotional stronghold in our life, it led to hatred was birthed. He didn't surrender to self-pity. He didn't allow self to get bitter at God or his brothers. God would use his pain. God will not allow your pain to go wasted either. Can I ask you, are you, are you allowing a trump card to sort of like dictate your life right now? Are you allowing it to take over? Are you allowing it to rob your blessings? Are you allowing it to rob your future? Today's choice, if you're in the pit, is to refuse to allow anger to take over and bitterness and hatred. Hebrews 12, 15 says, Look after each other so that none of you fails to receive the grace of God. Watch out that no poisonous root of bitterness grows up to trouble you, corrupting many. His, his brothers fully gave in. He himself did not. Joseph now, too, was in, invited to this bitter party. Oh, you should allow this to just take root in your life. And he refused to do it. He chose another path. He chose another path. Here's the fourth and final thing I want you to think about, this, this, uh, how Joseph overcame this betrayal. Trust that God has a plan even when you can't see it. There's a beautiful story that's navigating through the last 13 chapters of the book of Genesis. More time is spent talking about this man, Joseph, than any other figure in the book of Genesis. And there's a beautiful story that he can't see happening yet. But it's in that little, that's in that little word at the last verse in verse 36. Meanwhile, meanwhile, Joseph was sold to Potiphar. And that's significant because Potiphar was this general in Egypt and it's going to be the, catapult, the, the catalyst to, well, some more drama in his life. We're going to talk about next Sunday. But it becomes the catalyst to actually getting Joseph to the place where his life has the ability to, to save the nation of Egypt as well as the nation of Israel. You trust God when life stinks. You trust God when life stinks. That verse I read at the beginning, Romans 8, 28, memorize it. Some of you tattoo connoisseurs, get it tattooed. And if you do, tag us on RVC so we can at least show it off. He says, and we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose for them. If you've committed your life to the Lord, you can be sure that God will work all things together for good in your life. God is working his not only eternal purposes in these seeming tragedies, the plan of God allowed to unfold was so vital that the Messiah Jesus would be born into the world because of what God allowed this man Joseph to, to do and to go through. That meanwhile, God is working in the meanwhiles of life. There's a lot of pain uh, that, would, that, would, that would 
he had to go through to bring about this ultimate good that Jesus Christ would come into this world because of what Joseph was willing or was allowed to go through. Can I encourage you? God's at work right now in your life. There's a greater eternal good that God is allowing to happen in your life because of some of the things that you're going through. Overcoming is possible in your life by you putting your faith and your trust in Jesus Christ, trusting in him, choosing to respond by faith. Can I ask you, what, what's the Lord speaking to you today about? What's an area of your life that you need to overcome? Maybe there's some, some bitter roots that have been you know, kind of nursing and growing in your own life. Maybe you need prayer this morning. We have teams on each side of the room at the end of the service and as well as uh, after the service is over. And maybe you take, take a step of faith and say, hey, I, I'm in a pit right now and, I, and I've got some bitter feelings towards these people and I need to pray that God would root this bitterness out and I need you to pray for me to have strength to press on and to leave this behind and to do that hard work of forgiving. Maybe this morning you need to release some bitterness as we worship and confess it, God. This bitterness is keeping me back from all your blessings. God, I want this out of my life. And those moments that it starts to rise up again, man, you get it out of your life. You say, God, I don't want to live a bitter, bitter life. Show hands. Does anyone know someone wonderful to be around who's bitter? Nobody. Nobody. You have to root it out of your life. Maybe God is speaking to you about that this morning. Do it now. You have to forgive someone. They might not even be around anymore, but just that simple act of God, I'm releasing them, I'm forgiving them, and God, I'm going to trust in you. Maybe this morning you don't have a relationship with God, and life is overcoming. Things are happening to you. Can I encourage you, man? You were never meant to do this life on your own. You were never meant to face life's challenges and battles on your own. The only way for you to not only live a victorious life, but but to have, actually live, live a life that one day, because of your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, you say goodbye to this planet, we all are going to die one day, you'll take your next breath in God's presence. Not because you were good, not because you went to church, not because you actually tried harder in life to remedy kind of some of the messes that maybe you, you yourself have created, but because you had a simple faith in Jesus Christ. The Bible says that all of us have sinned. All of us have fallen short of God's glory. There's no one righteous, there's no, not one. That's what Romans 3 says. God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever would believe in him would not perish but have eternal life. Paul tells us that God made him, Jesus, who never sinned to become sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God. An exchange happened on the cross 2,000 years ago. When Jesus hung on the cross, he took all the sins that this world's ever committed, the sins of Joseph's brothers, the sins that you've committed, the sins that I've committed, the sins that have ever been committed or ever will be committed. And God allowed his dear son Jesus to absorb the wrath that sin deserves. And he exchanges those who have faith in Jesus. They, have, they get to have all the righteousness of God. Nothing you can do can ever remedy your sin problem. Nothing you could ever do could ever gain favor in God's eyes. It all comes by faith. And maybe that's you this morning. Say, hey, Gordon, I want, to, I, want, I want Jesus in my life. I want my sins forgiven. I want to begin a relationship with him today. And I'd love to pray with you and for you if that's something you want to do this morning. Would you all bow with me now? Father, thank you for your love. God, thank you for your goodness, Lord. And God, thank you so much for uh, allowing us to go through, Lord, this first lengthy section of Scripture. But Lord, setting the stage for this incredible work of, of, that you're going to do in Joseph's life. We already see it happening, Lord, as he chooses correctly call upon you. 
to stay faithful to you even as a teenager in a foreign land full of corruption. Lord, where nobody is serving you. Lord, thank you for this example. God, I want to pray for my friends. There might be some here today that are struggling with bitterness. God, they've been wronged. They've been betrayed. And yet your word says that they can overcome. They overcome with trusting in you. They overcome with not allowing bitterness to take root in their heart. They overcome, Lord, by uh, not having, excusing their own behavior in their own life because of something that's been done to them. They've been wronged. But Lord, they overcome by saying, God, I'm going to trust you. I'm going to call upon you. Lord, I want to have a victorious life.